Thank you, Ben. Beautiful, beautiful song. Thank you so much. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the book of John, the Gospel of John in chapter 12. We're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse. I'm going to walk down here, left my Bible here. John chapter 12. We were in chapter 5, but I've jumped ahead because today is Palm Sunday, and the Sunday before Easter Sunday. And so I jumped ahead to where these uh, particular incidents took place in the Scripture and in John. And so we're in John chapter 12. And uh, uh, Palm Sunday, of course, is that Sunday where they laid the palm branches before Jesus and some clothing before Jesus as he came in to Jerusalem. It's a beautiful scene. It's a scene where they sing hosannas for the Lord coming. It is also the official declaration of Christ that He is the Messiah. For it fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Many people understood that in that day. Many did not. Let's pick it up in, uh, in, in chapter 12 in verse... 12. It says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, that is the feast of Pentecost, uh, I mean the feast of Passover, I'm sorry, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, set upon it, as it is written. And then here's the quote from Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is just a poetic way of saying the people of Israel. Uh, Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on a donkey's coat. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that they... Uh, that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave, that was just the day before, and raised him from the dead, bear record. So a lot of people were there because of uh, the, um, the message that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. For this cause, the people also met him for that they had... Uh, they heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees therefore said unto themselves, Perceive ye not uh, how ye prevail nothing. That is, we're prevailing nothing. Behold, the whole world is gone out after him. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, may we see you in our mind's eye. May we see you through faith on this day and on the cross and the things that took place in history, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I've been showing you some video clips from the Gospel of John, and as I've said along the way, it's to remind us that these events really took place. They're not just written in a book, though they are, and it's God's book, it's God's divine book, but these things really took place in history. 
and real people, real places, and so forth. So I want us to take a, a quick look. I think it's only a minute and a half of this scene uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday. Let's play it. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God! God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says. Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a young donkey. His disciples did not understand this at the time, but when Jesus had been raised to glory, they remembered that the scripture said this about him and that they had done this for him. The people who had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from death had reported what had happened. That was why the crowd met him because they heard he had performed this miracle. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, we are not succeeding at all. Look, the whole world is following him. I want to point out two important thoughts about this scene. One is that this crowd would have been a mixed crowd. I don't mean racially or uh, economically or anything like that. I mean a mixed crowd in the sense that of how they related to Christ. Some of them were probably true believers who had recognized Jesus for who he was and believed his preaching and had trusted him as Savior and as the Son of God and uh, had received him. Uh, others were probably excited, as the text says, about the uh, miracle of Lazarus. And we know that many people in that day viewed Jesus as a miracle worker, which he was. But he was more than that. And, and they wanted to see miracles. And they wanted maybe to get a miracle. And there was a lot of followers because they saw him as an, like an Old Testament prophet, like Elisha or Elijah or Moses. He was a miracle worker, they thought and didn't go beyond that. The third group, maybe the largest group of that crowd were people who were looking for a political uh, Messiah. They wanted a warrior Messiah, one who would build an army and lead that army against Rome and free them from Roman tyranny. And so uh, that was, there was a mixed crowd there. The idea of the palm trees, for about 200 years, the palm branch had been a symbol for Israel. And that was the purpose of that. And so that's one important thing. Now, another very important thing is this. The Sunday before Passover was when people chose their Passover lamb. Not only was there one Passover lamb for everyone that, was, uh, that the priest slew, but individual families would choose a Passover lamb. 
And they would choose it, the priest would choose it, and the people would choose the lamb of their choosing on Sunday, on this very day. Jesus had been called the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world by John the Baptist and recorded for us by John the Apostle. And uh, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians that he is, our, he is our Passover that is sacrificed for us. It was as though on the day you choose your lamb, God's timing is meticulous and his timing is beautiful. On the day Jesus comes in to Jerusalem was the day when you choose your lamb. It's like God was saying, here's the true lamb. Choose him. He's the perfect lamb of God. Choose him. And so we have this, uh, this beautiful scene here. Now, if you look back at your screen for a moment, I... Uh, I, I want to talk about this week now, this week-long event from the Sunday of the, uh, Jesus entering into Jerusalem to the Sunday of the resurrection. That one week in there, sometimes it's called Passion Week, sometimes Holy Week, sometimes the last week. Uh, here's the important part. Uh, the four Gospels have 89 chapters and they cover 33 years of the life of, the, of Christ. The, this one week, 29 of those 89 chapters cover one week in the life of Christ. So one-third of the Gospels that cover 33 years, one-third of those chapters cover just one week. That's how important this week is. That's how important the importance God places on this week. God inspired the human author's to write about this week. It was not only the pinnacle of Christ's life, but it was the pinnacle of humanity, of his creation. When Jesus would come into Jerusalem on a donkey and rise again one week later from the dead. Now I want you to move forward with me in, your, in the Gospel of John, there's about seven chapters that cover this week here. And we're going to go to, uh, actually there's eight. Uh, it, we're going to go to chapter 19. So turn there with me if you would. Chapter 19, and we're going to pick up now on Friday of that week. Uh, Friday of the Passion Week. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 19... Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. So they scourged the Lord Jesus. This is the day of the cross. Now, if you put all of the Gospels together, we know that not only was he scourged, he was beaten he was beaten with clubs. He was beaten by the Roman soldiers in their hands. He was beaten by Jewish uh, uh, guards. He was, he was tortured as such. The beating, this, this scourging would be a beating with a cat of, like a cat of nine tails with sharpened pieces of metal and bone on the end that would tear the flesh. Many people died during the scourging. Many people's ribs were so torn apart, the skin from their ribs, you could see the bones. 
that happened to Jesus because in prophetic utterance in Psalm 22, Jesus said, My bones, they do look at me. They do stare at me. There's really no visual depiction of the cross that is quite as terrible as it would have been except maybe for the passion of the Christ and if you look closely in that crucifixion scene you can actually see the rib the ribs of our Savior so they scourged him they beat him they tortured him verse 3 says and they said hail king of the Jews and they smote him with their hands they mocked him belittled him and laughed at him the Son of God Notice, come over to verse 17 now of chapter 19. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. And they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the middle or in the midst. Look at verse 23. And the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without uh, seam, woven from the top throughout. And they therefore among themselves, they said among themselves, let us not rent it or tear it, but cast lots for it. That would be like throwing dice. The dice may have had numbers on them like they do in our day. They may have had colors or some other symbol on them. And... Um, and it says, let us cast lots for it, whose it shall be. And then it says that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my garments among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Again, fulfilling God's plan and the prophecies that took place thousand years before the before. This took place in history. God had said in his word it was going to take place. And many pro over 300 prophecies filled by Christ perfectly on his first coming. There's 2,100 prophecies concerning his second coming. So as sure as he came the first time, he's coming the second time in great power and in great glory. And so it fulfilled prophecy. Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother... And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. You remember Mary Magdalene had uh, demons cast out of her by Christ, and she became a follower of Christ. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. Now that's John, the, the, the human author of the Gospel of John. And he refers to himself not by name in his gospel but he only refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved he had great intimacy with Christ and loved him dearly and saw himself as a person whom Christ loved and of course he loves each of us and so that's John standing there and, uh, and then he saith to his mother woman behold thy son now woman was a was a uh, a polite way of speaking to a woman in our, in our day that would sound a little rude uh, but it was like saying dear, dear ma'am dear madam and uh, so he calls her woman 
Behold thy son. Now he's not talking about himself hanging on the cross. He's talking about John standing beside her. Woman, behold thy son. Referring to John. And then he says, Then saith he unto the disciple, that is to John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. Jesus had brothers and sisters. But they were not believers yet, apparently. And he wanted her in a home of someone who was a believer. So he, took, he put her care into John's hands. And the scripture says, from then on, and according to church tradition, when John moved to Ephesus from Jerusalem, he took Mary with him. And she lived with him until she died. Jesus teaches us here about caring for and loving our family. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. By the way, when Jesus, when Jesus said to his mother, woman, behold thy son, that was the third saying of the cross. There were seven sayings from the cross, and I went over those last year, but you, you'll remember them if I mention them quickly. That is, number one, Jesus said when they nailed him to the cross and stood him up, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for the ones who had tortured him. And then, sometime after that, there were two thieves, of course, on each side. One of them made fun of Jesus, just like the people on the ground, and he said, if you're truly the Christ, save yourself and save us. But there was another one who said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, before this day is over, <laughs> you're going to be with me in paradise, in heaven, before the day was over. You know, that's a picture of all of mankind, all humanity. Those who do receive Christ and those that don't. And that, that poor sinner and criminal was in heaven before the day was out. Well, that's the two sayings of the cross. The third saying of the cross then is this, Mother, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. The fourth saying from the cross is, I thirst, in the verse that we just read. Uh, the fifth saying from the cross uh, is, is I thirst. The fourth saying, I'm sorry, let me back up one, I missed one. The fourth saying is, after the three hours of darkness, the fourth saying is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when Jesus, in a way we can't fully understand, Jesus became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the Father turned His back on His Son, so to speak. And they, their communion was separated because Christ became sin for us. He said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? That was a prophetic utterance too that, that comes from Psalm 22. And the answer is given in verse 3, Because Thou art holy. The Father is holy. And Jesus became sin. What a moment that was. And then the fifth saying is, 
I thirst. The sixth saying is, it is finished. The seventh saying is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The seven sayings from the cross. By the way, let me outline the time. Jesus was arrested the night before in some of the trials and hearings, whatever they would have called them, went on during the night and as early as 6 o'clock on Friday morning. By 9 o'clock he was on the cross. 12 o'clock noon, there was darkness over the land because the creator of the universe was hanging on a cross. And there was darkness until 3 o'clock p.m. And at 3 o'clock p.m., that's when he said, I thirst, or just minutes before. So pick it back up now where he says, I thirst. Verse 28 at the end, he says, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they lifted a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost or the spirit. It is finished. Actually, one word in the Greek. Finished. Finished. That was a common word in, in that day. It was a word that was used of a servant would, would use it after he had done the bidding of his master. He had completed his task. He would come that, back to the master and say, Finished, using this particular Greek word. Jesus was like that servant. Remember Isaiah 53 calls him the suffering servant of Jehovah. And he did, he fulfilled the, the will of God and the plan of God the Father. He fulfilled the prophecies. And he said, finished. And then it was used of, a, of an artist who had painted maybe a beautiful landscape of, a, of an ocean or of a sea or of a sunset and when they finally had finished all of their little details they would say finished in the midst of all this ugliness of sin and the torture of Christ Christ paints a beautiful picture of God's love for us for me and for you finished he said Maybe the most meaningful way it was used was when you had been buying something on credit at a merchant and you owed a certain amount. When you came in and paid your bill, they would write across the top of your bill, finished. This exact Greek word, finished, meaning paid in full. Jesus paid in full for my sin. I, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid my sin debt and wrote across my sins, finished, paid in full. Thank God for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Paid in full. And then it says he gave up the ghost. That is, he delivered up his spirit. He released his spirit. You remember when Jesus was preaching in John 10 and he said... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Then he said, I have 
No man taketh my life from me, he said. No man. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it up again. When the right time came, Jesus released his spirit. He had power to lay it down. He had power to take it up again. And so we have this great verse 30. It is finished. Again, God's timing is meticulous. And his timing is beautiful as well. Jesus came in to Jerusalem on that Sunday before the Passover. That was when you choose your lamb. On Friday, the lamb would be sacrificed. If you remember, Jesus died at 3 o'clock. When you compare all the Gospels, we know he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Hung on the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock, 6 hours. But something else took place at 3 o'clock. That's when the Passover lamb was slain. Again, Paul says, Jesus is our Passover sacrificed for us. It would have looked something like this. It would have looked, there was one priest who was watching the sundial. There was another priest on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place on the temple wall. And he had a, a, a shofar. A big ram horn. And there was another priest who was on the ground with a, with a lamb. And he had a knife in his hand and held that knife at the lamb's throat. And at exactly three o'clock, the priest on the sundial would make a motion to the priest on top of the temple wall. And he would blow that shofar as loud as he could and you could hear it for miles away and when he blew that that very second the the priest with the lamb would cut the lamb's throat and sacrifice the lamb on that very second when he cut the throat of that lamb the, the Lord Jesus said it is finished and gave up his spirit all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament were pointing to this very minute in time when the true Lamb of God would come and die for the sins of the world. So that you and I can say we're redeemed not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ, who was a lamb without spot and without blemish. Well, those next verses, let's read quickly. Look at verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was nigh. Remember the Jews start their day at 6 o'clock. So this was happening on Friday. At 6 o'clock on Friday, what you and I would call Friday evening, it became Saturday in the Jewish reckoning. So Jesus died at 3 o'clock, but they wanted these prisoners off of the cross before Six o'clock, because the dead bodies would defile the holiness of Jerusalem as the Pharisees and the religious leaders saw it. So they besought Pilate that the legs might be broken and that that might be taken away. When you break the legs 
when someone's on the cross and they can, they can put a little bit of pain, bear the pain in their feet, put a little bit of pressure on that and lift up enough to breathe a little bit. And then they would have to sag back down. And when they're hanging from their hands, it cuts off the air. And so prisoners would, would have to kind of lift themselves up with their feet to get a breath. But when you break the legs, all of the weight of the body is hanging on the arms and it cuts off the air and they die quickly. Sometimes it took people several days to die on the cross. It was the cruelest of all executions. But because the Passover was near, they broke the legs of the first two. Look at verse 32. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already and break not his legs. But one of the soldiers uh, with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. You wonder why they just didn't go ahead and break his legs because that you, you could have still seen that he was dead by breaking his legs instead of piercing his side. And there was an order to break their legs. They disobeyed that order. wonder why they did that. Well, the next verse tells us. Look at it. Down at verse 36. These things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. Those soldiers didn't know that. But God in his providence wouldn't let him use that hammer. He may have even when he walked away thought, why did I do that? Why did I change my mind? Why did I disobey the order? But he did. And then they pierced him in the side to make sure and look at the reason for that, verse 37. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look upon him whom they pierced. Wow. God's prophecy is fulfilled perfectly to every detail. Look back at verse 35 now as John bears record. This is John, of course, the human author of the book of John. And he that saw it bear record. John was right there and saw these things. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he knoweth what he saith is true, that ye might believe. He's written these things that, that you and I might believe all of this time later. I've got a three-minute video now of the cross. And, and this depiction is not as good as I would like for it to be. But nevertheless, it gives us, reminds us that Jesus... Though he were God, he was here in a human body. And these things really happened to him in time, in space, in history. So let's view this little four-minute clip together. After the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier. They also took the robe, which was made of one piece of woven cloth without any seams in it. The soldiers said to one another, let's not tear it. Let's throw dice to see who will get it. This happened in order to make the scripture come true. They divided my clothes among themselves and gambled for my robe. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing close to Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there. He is your son. Then he said to the disciple, She is your mother. From that time, the disciple took her to live in his home. Jesus knew that by now, everything had been completed. And in order to make the scripture come true, he said, I am thirsty. A bowl was there, full of cheap wine. So a sponge was soaked in the wine, put on a stalk of hyssop, and lifted up to his lips. Jesus drank the wine. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jewish authorities asked Pilate to allow them to break the legs of the men who had been crucified and to take the bodies down from the crosses. They requested this because it was Friday and they did not want the bodies to stay on the crosses on the Sabbath since the coming Sabbath was especially holy. So the soldiers went and broke the legs of the first man and then of the other man who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, plunged his spear into Jesus' side. And at once, blood and water poured out. The one who saw this happen has spoken of it, so that you may also believe. What he said is true, and he knows that he speaks the truth. This was done to make the scripture come true. Not one of his bones will be broken. And there is another scripture that says, people will look at him whom they pierced. What a scene that was. It may have looked something like that. Jesus dying for our sins. I'm going to close the message in just a few moments, but don't turn me off yet. I've got something to share with you after the message today, so wait until I share some good news, something exciting you'll want to see, first, a first time for our church. You'll want to see that. But as I close, I ask you the question, have you been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Have you? I preached two funerals and a wedding in a week. The last funeral was this past Thursday. It was a friend of mine, Howard Pegram. 
I had been his pastor and friend for 37 years. He was 92 years old. He was not only ready to go, he got saved when he was 30. He trusted Christ as Lord and Savior at the age of 30. But not only was he ready to go, he was longing for heaven. There was something he used to say a lot, and he said it to his family and friends, said it to me. He, he would say something like this. I may not be the smartest man on earth, but one thing I know for sure, that Jesus saves and that he saved me. His life had been so drastically changed that Jesus saved me, he said, and that's the most important thing in the world. He came into his own, and his own received him not, but as many as did receive him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God. Have you received Christ? Revelation 1 in verse 5 says, Now unto him, Jesus, now unto him who loved us, he loves you. He loves us so much, he went to the cross and bore our sin and took the suffering of that cross because he loves you so much. So you could be forgiven. Now unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Have you been washed? Have you been redeemed? Have you been saved? All of those good biblical words meaning the same thing. Receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. Bow with me please wherever you are. And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you really mean this prayer... The Lord will save you and forgive you and come into your heart. Cleanse you in His blood. If you really mean it. Pray this prayer with me. Wherever you are, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. And rose again from the dead. And right now, I call on you to be my Savior. I receive you into my heart and into my life as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and forgive my sin and give me a home in heaven. Now, Father, I pray for those who prayed this prayer for me today. Give them assurance. May they claim your promise. You said if we open the door, you would come in. Lord Jesus, you said if we, whoever calls on you shall be saved. And so may they claim that promise and know. And may they find your peace and joy in all of life and during this time of calamity as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.